And thanks to those many Marine mentors as well, and, and thanks to those many Marine mentors and all my experiences in the private sector and government service for the last several years, I have been thinking a lot about a term that was mentioned earlier here today, and that is agility. So I want to talk to you a little bit about that. It's become a very, very popular term in describing organizational behavior, and what many believe, including me, is the key determinant of success in the highly competitive world in which we are currently living. I think it's going to have to be the characteristic that differentiates our armed forces from our competitors at the end of the day. And most importantly, it must be what defines the naval forces of the future that we're trying to build. But agility as a term on its own has never been very satisfying to me. It's very difficult to define it and to measure it, and it's hard to say with certainty what it is and what it looks like. And it reminds me of a Supreme Court case from like 1964, where they were dealing with obscenity and pornography, and Justice Stewart, who wrote the primary opinion on this, in trying to define what pornography is and what obscenity was, he said, I don't think it's that important that we actually have to define what it is. We pretty much know it when we see it. So I think the same way about agility. We're gonna know it when we see it. And so I think there are some organizational characteristics that will give us clues into what we'd be looking for. So I've come up with eight. Um, this is after years of thinking about it and talking to people, and I'm quite certain there could be more. And you probably could develop your own list. Uh, but these eight qualities are pretty good ones to strive for. And plus, frankly, they're the only ones I came prepared to talk about tonight. So <laughs> you're going to have to listen to these. Okay, the first one is velocity or speed. In a time of rapid change, organizations have to learn to do things faster. And so must we. Every major enterprise that has emerged as a leader in their respective industry over the last 20 years has improved in this area, and some by quantum leaps. For many of us old-timers here, those of us, uh, general youth, several of us who were trained in the last century, um, when you started your careers, think about how long it took to shop for something in a catalog or to book an airline ticket or to have a package delivered. Think about how long it took to transfer money uh, or just to get cash to go out and spend. More significantly, think about how long it took for well-established institutions to lose their competitive advantages. Think about Kodak, or General Motors, or Sears and Robo, or even a more current example in the internet age, American Online, that we thought, wow, they had an incredible advantage, they were never gonna go away, right? Once the tide and pace of change begins accelerating, it is impossible to stop it. So speed is gonna be critical to survival in such an environment. For the Navy and Marine Corps, this speaks not only to how fast our weapons can fly, and how quickly or how quickly we can move forces from place to place. And it means something to all those things, but it has much more importance with respect to how it characterizes our processes and how we think and how we make decisions. When we look at our acquisition programs, for example, I think we can all agree that our lack of speed when compared to commercial industry is costing us money and stifling our ability to incorporate technologies at the velocity of change that we're experiencing. When compared to some of our geostrategic competitors who have discovered ways to shortcut innovation through nefarious means, also known as stealing and cheating, um, or who can more quickly leverage commercially available technology, our lack of speed is quickly becoming a competitive disadvantage, and so we have to get serious about how we fix that. In the end, if we don't correct this trajectory, it will end up costing us more than just money. 
The second one is adaptability. Agile organizations adapt quickly to changing conditions. They do not allow themselves to stagnate or be overcome by changes in their environment. The Boston Consulting Group uh, studied this problem and they studied something called uh, corporate adaptiveness. And this, they discovered that there are in fact concrete ways to measure a company's capabilities in this regard. Not surprisingly, when examined within competitive environments that are defined by heavy turbulence, which I think we can say we're experiencing now, the most adaptive companies on the BCG index far outperform those who were lower on this adaptive scale. This does not happen by accident. Rather, those companies who successfully built adaptive cultures and organizations, they did, they did it intentionally and they invested in it commensurately. For us, this means we must continue to invest in adaptability across the entire Navy enterprise. We must foster flexibility in our people, design and construct both adaptable platforms and force deployment models, and ensure that both people and platforms are enabled by flexible business and operational processes, just as our people must be able to adapt to the multiple potential environments in which they may be asked to operate and to fight. They cannot afford to be ignorant of them, and neither can we. The third is innovation. Agile organizations are adept and comfortable with trying new things, with experimenting, failing, measuring, trying again, all with a view towards finding new solutions to the current and anticipated problems. And I will say in my year, it's a couple months on this job, I've seen a lot of that in the Marine Corps as I travel around. A heavy emphasis on innovation, looking at new ways to do things, and that's been extremely encouraging to me. And so for those of you who haven't read it and have an interest in understanding how breakthrough innovation and manned flight actually happened in the last century. I commend to you this Wright Brothers biography that was written by David McCulloch. The Wright Brothers story is remarkable. It's really, really great history, but it's also a complete innovation case, case study. And how innovation is not reckless, but it's meticulous and it's relentless. And even though this occurred over 100 years ago, Orville and Wilbur Wright demonstrated that innovation is driven by constant trial and error meticulous documentation and the deliberate construction of a culture of learning within their own little shop of three or four people. We need a learning culture like this in the Navy and Marine Corps. We must embrace this as a core value. As young authors wrote in the latest issue of the Gazette magazine, they talked about this. And as we think about innovation and its role in the future of our Navy and Marine Corps, no words seem more relevant than this. Rapid technological advances are driving the raw technical requirements for innovation, but knowledge is not defined by technical competencies. It's created through leadership that encourages innovation and risk-taking and inspires sailors and Marines who thirst to learn and excel in circumstances that are characterized by what we expect to be characterized by unpredictability and uncertainty and by adversaries who we can't understand exactly what they're gonna do next. The fourth is collaboration. Collaborative cultures may appear to be on the opposite end of the spectrum from bureaucratic ones. I have often observed in the Department of Defense, like most great bureaucracies, or what I would call self-siloing organizations. Um, they tend to have an aversion to working across organizational boundaries and organizations and sub-organizations and have a bias towards protecting themselves, along with their domains. Everyone understands what I'm talking about here, I'm sure. They try to protect their budgets, they try to protect their identities, they try to protect their hierarchies, and they fight for those things fiercely. Let me also say that most of this behavior is actually very well-intentioned. 
I experienced this myself when I was in the Pentagon the last time during my last tour in the department, and Bob was with me on this, and I call it the purple squishy ball syndrome. Uh, when I, in the q and I'll explain that a little bit more, but when I took over the program, I found out this program office for the Business Management Modernization Program had, had spent not an insignificant amount of dollars on BMMP branded products. So they had lanyards branded, they had branded pens, they had BMMP branded notepads, and other items, including, including these little purple squishy balls uh, that said BMMP on them. Nothing of that had anything to do with working across organizational boundaries, but rather sort of establishing their own legitimacy. So the entire program had organized itself around domains that mirrored the organizational silos that already, that already existed in the department at the OSD level, and they collaborated just about as well. So we must demonstrate zero tolerance for organizational silos and an aversion to accumulation of power. And I know this is very antithetical to how we think, but we have to think this way, and building broader coalitions across uh, our organizations. The fifth is visibility. This is a key supporting element of the previous four elements that I talked about. Because it, as it exists in all organizations that move quickly, adapt, innovate, and share information freely, visibility is key, transparency is key. These organizations allow for the best authoritative data to be able to de derive decisions. Data that people can agree on, agreement on the facts so the decisions can be made quickly. So for us in the Navy and Marine Corps, this has much to do with the applicability to a theater of maritime operations as it does to the back office. Uh, the proliferation of platforms and sensors and our ability to integrate them and understand all the data that they produce will be critical to the success of the future warfighting capabilities. But the business systems and the business operations behind them have to have good data. We have to know where the money's going. But all this data has to make sense and we must figure out how best to exploit visibility at the right level, to the right level, and at the right time so that we increase the value. The same organizational value of visibility is critical to the business environment. And in this regard, I'll put it quite simply, we just simply need to know where our stuff is. And we need to know how much it costs, and we need to know how long it is going to take to get it where it needs to be. Today, I would say that I don't think any, everyone in our organization can answer any one of those questions with a high degree of confidence. In the future, lots of people are going to have to be able to do that. And I'll give you an example. We just took the lead at our first financial audit. One of the things that they found in the financial audit, looking at inventory, is they discovered a warehouse in California that had 146 million dollars worth of aircraft parts in it that we didn't even have in our system. No one even knew it existed. When we found it, we recognized it, we put it into the system. Within two weeks, 90 million dollars worth of requisitions for parts out of that inventory for aircraft that had been down looking for those parts. Okay. That's why visibility is so critical. That's why the financial audit, despite its name, should never be confused or viewed solely as a finance and financial driven effort. It's an enterprise imperative because the correction to visibility and accountability and overall behavior is going to accrue directly to the warfighters. To hit on all the other things I talked about with respect to what agility is. So this is our audit. It's our audit, it's an enterprise, it's not just the comptrollers. And we're not going to be successful in the future or derive any benefits from it unless we all embrace it and embrace it uh, fully. The sixth is humility. We have to become honest with ourselves about whatever deficiencies we may have. We know that at this moment we are the most lethal and powerful naval force in the world. There's no doubt about that. There's no Marine Corps like ours. 
There's no Navy that compares. But let me caution you, Kodak thought the same thing in their market. So did GE, so did Blockbuster Video, so did AOL, so did any number of other companies who were leaders in their fields within the last 20 years, and who not only lost market share, but actually don't even exist anymore. It is a byproduct of rapid and disruptive change that just, doesn't just happen to businesses. We need to think like our competitors and look at our own weaknesses, be honest about them with clear and humble, humble hearts so we can address them head on. The seventh is skepticism. And when I say skepticism, I don't mean cynicism. Skepticism means not accepting things, all things at face value, but challenging conventional thinking and rejecting incrementalism when more dramatic change is needed. I recently saw a great definition of this, and I think it really truly uh, captures this characteristic, not as a something negative, but truly as a virtue that people can have. Quote, the true meaning of the word skepticism has nothing to do with doubt, disbelief, or negativity. Skepticism is the process of applying reason and critical thinking to determine validity. It's a process of finding a supported conclusion, not the justification of preconceived conclusion. Okay, the last one, the eighth one, is trust. Fortunately, this is a characteristic we've done a fairly good job embedding in the Navy Marine Corps team and into our culture over time. We ask our junior personnel to trust and obey the orders of their superior enlisted and office report. It is well understood, but it can never be taken for granted, and it must also flow both ways, up and down the chain of command. But what we can say with certainty about the predictability of the future is that it will most likely be defined by unpredictability. In such an environment, a high degree of trust in the competence and professionalism of even the smallest of our fighting units and even to the individual level is going to be absolutely critical for success. We're going to need all eight of these characteristics of agility because changes are coming at us extremely fast. So we must be prepared to break free of some of those organizational paradigms and behaviors and biases that suited us pretty well in the last century in a Cold War, a Cold War environment. They're not well suited for today. And certainly, they're not well suited for tomorrow in the most of this century. Today, I believe we're truly approaching another historical inflection point of technological and social change, while at the same time within a security environment characterized by competitors who are more credibly challenging our military capabilities. It's a very dangerous confluence of events, and one we cannot spend our way out of. Rather, we have to think our way out of it. In this time and in this age, we have no choice but to strive for greater agility, to take risks, to apply America's most precious resource, our God-given talents, educated and groomed in the service of our nation, in order to assume the competitive advantage that will last. And the key to that advantage lies in the minds and the spirit of every single person in this room and all the people that you touch on a daily basis and in one another. We should ask at every turn when developing the naval force of the future, how flexible and adaptable are our people and our platforms and our systems? How well do they collaborate and interoperate with allies and with unmanned assets or smaller combatants that don't fit neatly into defined categories? How fast are they? Not just on the ground or over and under the water, but in the information space. Or how quickly can they be reconfigured to address different threats? How transparent are they? within a network of systems and platforms in which they operate, and how non-transparent and unpredictable are they 
to our adversaries. And a question which former Commandant of the Marine Corps Al Gray might well have asked, how innovative, quote, how innovative are the tactics they employ and the people who man the ships and devise these tactics? Let me conclude by giving you all a simple formula to think about as you contemplate what you, yourself, can help build this naval, agile naval force of the future. I was recently debating with Commander Slough, now recently promoted Captain Slough. She's my military aide. I was talking to her about the value of some of the engineering courses uh, that we had to take at the Naval Academy. And she's an engineer and tough as nails destroyer commander. Uh, but her argument was that certain formulas and theorems that we learned at the academy were very valuable to her in helping her understand how things work. And in her case, to understanding the physics of what made her ship be able to fight. Well, I was a political science major, uh, but not an engineer, and I wasn't exactly a fan of all the engineering courses and science classes we had to take. But still, I appreciated all that I learned in this regard. And to this day, there are a few fundamental formulas that I remember. The most relevant, relevant of these to me in the context of my remarks and to what I'd like you all to think about and take home with you is this formula, F equals MA. Force equals mass times acceleration. So when I think about the naval force of the future, what it should be, I think this formula is highly relevant with one significant modification. So suspend the laws of physics for a second. I apologize, Captain Slough, on this one. But substitute the A that we traditionally assign to acceleration and assign to acceleration the A to term agility. That means naval force equals mass times agility. I think this is the formula we need to embrace in order to fully compete and win in this era of uncertainty and rapid change, an era in which we will continue to be challenged to retain our supremacy on the seas. So if agility is comprised of all those factors I described before, how are we to define what the M is in that formula? Should M be mass, as it traditionally is? And if so, is this mass to be measured by the size of our force when we face adversaries whose populations will far likely uh, to exceed our own? Or is mass to be measured by the strength of our own weapons and information about the lethality of rockets and munitions and guidance systems and satellite systems and sensors and seekers, when all those things, all that data, all that information is becoming ubiquitous in the information age. I would argue that using the traditional definition of M for mass would probably not do the trick either. Our mass will only contribute to our competitive advantage as a naval force as it always has for the Navy and Marine Corps team, through the strength of our minds and the magnitude of our hearts. This is why we must invest in our minds, foster education, and transform ourselves into a true learning organization. Our, re our recent Education for Sea Power study emphasizes this point and is leading now to a complete reorganization and prioritization of education across the Naval Service. In the final report of this study, there is a prescient quote from Commandant Gray on the inside front cover, and it says, quote, an officer's principal weapon is his mind. Thus, it will be so for all of our forces. It is our one remaining competitive advantage, and we must not allow that to be eroded. Finally, our mass is to be measured by the magnitude of our hearts. And that, Marines and Marine families, is to be found in the love you have 
for your country, for our Constitution, and for the men and women who served with you in the armed forces. Love the people that you have the privilege to lead. Care about their families as much as yours. Positively and proactively address thoughts of suicide and addiction. Be vigilant to prevent sexual assault and harassment against them, as vigilant as you would be if it was one of your own sons and daughters. Make sure they are getting the housing they deserve. Care about their careers more than your own. Teach them, just as my Marine senior pilot on the NASA did for me, how to be confident in their abilities so that they too, at one point in their careers, can exceed their own expectations. If we do these things, if we commit ourselves to building an educated team, a team that is committed to each other and to the country, with deep and abiding love for each other and each other's families, a team that acts with all these elements of agility we can define, I am entirely convinced that we will know that force when we see it, and so will our enemies. And there is no possible way we will ever be defeated, and neither will the enduring principles of liberty upon which this country was built. Thank you for inviting me here this evening and for what you do every day to give hope to people around the world. Like my father, who lived far from our shores, but who longed for liberty, prosperity, and peace that only strength like ours can produce. Donate, Semper Fi, and of course, as always, the Army. Good night. <laughs>